Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. report for you today. The Central States Select Black Hereford sale down in Missouri happened at the beginning of the month. Their bulls averaged $5,200. The bred heifers averaged $2,450. Pairs were $2,200. And then the three-in-ones that they had up there were $2,400. This episode is sponsored by my favorite cheerleader, Charlie Adams and Adams Farm. Adams Farm have truly been amazing supporters of the ABHA and this podcast, but what's even better than that is that they're doing that while producing top-shelf Black Herefords. Their cattle are incredibly researched. Charlie's bringing in genetics that he believes will shape the future of this breed. You can find them at tnblackherford.com, or you can email Charlie directly at charlieadams at nctc.com. And again, I just want to thank Charlie for stepping up and helping to sponsor this show. You know, putting on a podcast, it's not free. There's some inputs that go into that. And so I just love that he was so willing to kind of step up and, and make sure we could keep bringing this show to you. So thank you, Charlie and Adams Farm. Today's episode is kind of a broad view mishmash of topics that I think are going on around us right now that are really important, but that I wanted to make sure we took some time to sit down and talk about, even though they all might not be uh, totally related around one broad issue. So I brought Logan back into the studio and we talked a little bit about the new EPD system that's coming out relatively soon here as well as some broad vision goals and, you know, really thinking through some of those breeding decisions that we're looking at as operations. And then we also just talked about some of the breed specific topics that keep coming back up like F1s. Let's jump on in. I brought Logan back on the podcast today to talk about, well, a pretty wide swath of topics that I feel like are relevant to things that we're experiencing in our breed right now. So I'd like to start today just kind of visiting a little bit about the big EPD news. I'm sure everyone has seen the email that came out from the association talking about the switch to IGS and kind of what to expect that way. And hopefully we will have those new EPDs out any day now. My fingers are sure crossed. But it got me really thinking about some of the issues that we may see as we switch to EPDs. So our operation, this will be, what, our third or fourth different um, EPD system that we've run through with Black Herefords? Yeah, it'll be the fourth. So we're kind of used to having to relearn how to read and think about those numbers at this point. But I got to really thinking about how at this point in our operation, we have more returning, more long-term customers than what we did in the early days. You know, we've got guys that have been coming back to us for bulls year after year after year at this point. And so it's going to be more than just us 
relearning how to read and interpret those EPDs, but it's also going to be on us to then educate our buyers, our customers about that change and about how they should be looking at those new numbers. So I just want to ask you, Logan, kind of what you're expecting that way, what anything that you're expecting with those EPDs that you think is notable, and then kind of how you plan to pass that information on to your customers. Absolutely. Um, So I'm pretty uh, excited and hyped about the new EPD situation. Uh, Luckily for our customers, it'll be a lot more similar to what they're used to seeing from other breeds that they may run. Um, We will have our current ones, uh, as in we will have our calving ease, birth weight, weaning weight, yearling weight, milk, scrotal uh, that we're currently doing. And along with that, we'll also be adding in carcass EPDs, uh, marbling, ribeye area, um, maybe back fat. I don't know if I don't remember if that one's on there or not. Um, We'll be adding on a stability index, which is great for longevity. Um, We'll be adding on two different dollar indexes, which will be the dollar TI, which is a terminal index, uh, predicting how much value a fed calf out of this bull would bring compared to a fed calf from a separate bull in um, with a different uh, dollar TI. And the other one is a dollar API. That's the all purpose index. Um, that's more of a maternal focus. So if you're looking at a bull for the heifers, you might, you might have out of him that you want to keep. You'll probably want to look at the all purpose index. Um, if you're looking at a set of terminal cattle, you'll probably want to use out of the terminal index. Uh, the two of them together can kind of create a balance for uh, what you're breeding for. And um, our customers, I think, are pretty used to seeing those dollar indexes in Angus and Hereford and Simital. Um, so uh, it's a pretty easy tool that brings some um, consolidation to what they are need to be looking at. So I guess I kind of just assumed the first part of that. I I would imagine you are planning on telling them when, on reaching out to your customers at some point and saying, well, here's those bulls that I thought you might be interested in. And when you send that data, those links over, are you going to make a note to them? Hey, these EPDs might look a little different. Here's why. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, we have to tell our customers what's what's going on with our uh, breeding, of course, and what um, data we're sending them and all, all that stuff. Um, I, I think that they're going to, we're going to find good market acceptance for that and it'll be good. So once those numbers are released and we actually have, you know, hard data that we're looking at, we plan on the Chronicles to dig into that a lot deeper and spend a lot more time educating ourselves and each other on those. But for now, the one thing that I really wanted to talk about before those numbers even hit because I think it's often overlooked as far as its importance in the weight that it carries on those numbers are contemporary groups. I also think it's something that we generally have a problem with in our association just by the nature of the fact that we are smaller, right? So I think let's start super, super basic with just what is a contemporary group and why does it matter? And then what role does that play in the EPDs? And then we'll dig into how to use those in the best possible way. You bet. Um, 
So as you know, looking at um, the submission requirements for, say, let's say weaning weights to a 205-day average, well, that doesn't mean that you take your calf on its 205th birthday and weigh it and send in that date. No, that means that um, you take your entire group of calves that are born within three months, so from January 1st to April 1st, and you weigh all of those calves at the same time, and then their weights are adjusted to the 205th day as an average. Um, and the reason that's done is to try to give you as accurate a picture of what those calves are actually doing uh, compared to each other. And that forms the ratio, which the ratios are what goes into creating the APDs. Um, and con constructing your contemporary groups is important to remember that uh, management is key and all the calves are in a contemporary group should be managed the same, whether they're out on grass all summer or maybe they're out on, um, or maybe they're getting some supplement. But if you're getting, but if you have two herds and one herd is only on grass and one is getting uh, some range pellets along with it, then they need to be in separate contemporary groups. Or if you have a show heifer pulled out, then she needs to be in another contemporary group. Um, those kinds of things to make sure that the, that is consistent across the entire herd. So then a logistics question on that one. You know, you're not going to, or at least I wouldn't know, which heifer is going to be the show heifer when those contemporary groups originally created. Because when I'm putting those in the system, I'm putting in contemporary groups pretty early on. At birth. They'll be all in the same birth uh, contemporary right. group. So later on when we decide our kid is going to show whatever heifer this year and she needs to be pulled out and put in a separate contemporary group, is Digital Beef charging me no. for making that change? No. It's okay. when, you, when you submit your waning weight, um, then you, it's simple. You just um, put a one contemporary group one for all the whole herd and then show heifer is in group two. Okay. So then why? Why does that heifer need to be pulled out? Why does it matter that that show heifer is put into a different contemporary group? Because if she's getting a grain supplement or maybe on full grain feed, getting ready for show that uh, the rest of the calves aren't getting, then she's going to be completely skewed in terms of her growth and her fat content or marbling and, and just about everything about her um, will be exceptional compared to the rest of the calves. But why does that matter to me? Because maybe I'm looking at, oh, I'm going to take this heifer to the royal, right? And we're going to sell her after she shows or before she shows because our show schedule is different. How? Why does that matter? Don't I want her to look like she's this rock star compared to her peers? Not sure you do, but uh, that's a question of ethics, I guess, and ha how you want to handle your honesty in your business. Um, it depresses the the worth of the rest of your calves, even though it, it, it skews the average and then you're not going to have an accurate average, but um, being truthful in what in the data you're submitting is like is cornerstone of having a system that works at all. I also think it comes back to that key of, of consistency. You know, if you want a consistent market, sure, you can sell one high-priced heifer at the Royal every year, but that's not going to be enough bread and butter to keep your business rolling. You've got to be able to sell more than one high priced animal each year. And if you're skewing the rest of your animals down, it's going to make building that consistent customer base 
more difficult. Absolutely. And then it also messes with your own uh, selection tools. Um, it, it makes it harder for you to decide on your own which ones are actually creating a value and need to stay in the herd and which ones just need to be culled. Okay, so let's get into some of the nitty gritty with contemporary groups. And before we even think about some of the special circumstances that are presented just by the fact that we are typically small breeders in the Black Hereford Association, big, broad, what is the ideal contemporary group size? So ideally, according to the BIF, the Beef Improvement Federation, the contemporary group should have at least 20 calves in it. Um, for most of our breeders, that's an issue because with the breeders that have 20 calves, well, it's supposed to be split steers and heifers. So it'd be 20 or bulls and heifers, 20 bulls in one group, 20 heifers in another group. Um, but that's a sub, that's a size that's hard to reach in our association. Um, so just having the calves as close to each other and and uh, growing together as you can is the best way to do it. So let's say that I've got a small operation and I've got a couple of cows that calved late for whatever reason. And I am just outside that three month window by a week, maybe. Is it better to go ahead and put them in their own separate contemporary group, knowing that I now have two small contemporary groups or would it actually be better to extend that window and shove them all in together so that they do have just the one group so that that, that number is better? I think it needs they need to be separate um, because of environmental concerns. Um, for instance, on our calves that were born this year, 99% of our, cal- of our registered calves came from August 16th to September 20th. And then we had one outlier that was born October 19th. Well, yes, that's only one month behind the others. And and technically, it's a three-month window. That calf could be in the contemporary group with those other calves. But um, it's uh, it's starting to get cold. The grass value, nutritional value isn't there. Um, That calf's going to be behind... All, all winter long, basically, no matter how much hay is put in front of the cows. So in my mind, you're not doing that calf any favors by putting it in its own or by not putting it in its own contemporary group and having a super consistent, um, accurate contemporary group for the entire rest of the herd. So just to digress to the last time you and I had a conversation on this podcast and because you brought that up, I want to ask. So you've got this cow that was over a month late on calving. Mm -hmm. What does that mean when you're thinking about her for next year? What in the world happened with your management, sir? (laughs) Um, I do intend to sell her next year because she's just old. She's 12 years old now. And and that's a sign that she's time. It's done. We'll wean this calf off and that'll be the end of that. (laughs) I just had to see if you were really ready to put your money where your mouth was on that one. Yep. Okay. So. When we're looking at the new EPDs that are coming out, is it going to be even more important that we pay special attention to what we're doing with those contemporary groups? I'd say so, yes. Even though the EPDs are being formed from a much larger pool, as in number of cattle in the millions, because we're pulling from all other breeds that uh, IGS serves, um, 
still, though, what the Black Herefords will be providing to that needs to be more consistent than ever in order to um, put our breed on an equal footing with the rest of the ones in the service. Like I said, we're going to dig into the EPDs, hopefully with some real experts once they... Hey, I'm not saying you're not very knowledgeable, but... We'll dig into them once they actually hit and we have those real numbers and that hard data in front of us to talk about. Um, I would just reiterate that even though we're switching to this much bigger and more effective, frankly, system, it does not take away the importance of everyone accurately reporting, accurately and honestly reporting all of their data and keeping those records up to date. Yep. Most importantly, if you're going to be a registered breeder, buy scales, use them. So another topic that I wanted to hit on today is birth weights. And I've noticed a lot lately that birth weight is something that's been gaining steam in the Angus community a lot lately. And it's traditionally kind of always been a conversation off and on ebbs and flows within the Hereford world as well. But it's really been picking up a lot of steam in the Angus world. And I think that matters because when those breeders start talking about something, we need to take notice because it's obviously going to trickle down into us. Pendulum effects that the Angus world has, that the Hereford world has, we're going to feel those swings. Yeah. And since Angus has been chasing hard after low birth weights for a while, they're finally starting to take notice of some of those side effects of some of the things that come with an extremely low birth weight. Like frail calves and hard growth. Right. It's been interesting, you know, coming from the cow-calf standpoint, you know, we always raised... Those F1 crosses, you know, we were always crossing Hereford and Angus, and we always had concerns about Hereford birth weights and calving ease. And that was why breeding Angus into our cows was such a benefit. You know, we can't we can't have calving trouble. Your cow-calf customer, which, you know, is the end product for all of us, or should be, you know, we're all trying to, to breed into the beef industry. The cow-calf guy cannot accept hard calving animals. You think about these guys that have got, you know, hundreds of mama cows out on wide swaths of range. They can't be assisting a ton of those births. They just can't. And so, you know, that was, I think, where a lot of this came from. A lot of this push to low birth weight Mm -hmm. and this push to extreme calving ease came from. What really surprised me was how much of that we've seen in the black Herefords. Because they're more Hereford heavy, I was not anticipating that as a breed, as a whole big picture, we would have such low birth weights. Very small calves overall. Yeah. And it just, it really surprised me. And so I want to kind of talk about what some of those negative side effects of low birth weights are and why that matters, and then kind of my fears on the other end of that. So what would you classify as a low birth weight? 
I'd say anything, anything sub 65 pounds is, I would call a low birth weight, um, get into the fifties and it's excessively dangerously low. Um, those calves tend to not get up and nurse. They just lay there and are frail in the summertime. That's dangerous because they can overheat really fast in the wintertime. They just lay there and freeze to the ground. You know, it's, it's, it's a serious situation and that comes from pushing those really low birth weights. And I'm not going to say calving ease because we'll go get into that for in a second, but, um, the extreme low birth weights, because generally that just means a short gestation period and that calf hasn't done baking yet. I'm also curious of your thoughts on this one because I've heard some discussion about this and I can't decide if it's bro science or not. So there's been some people talking about how one of the unanticipated side effects of generations of low birth weights, because that's what we're at at this point, is we've been pushing for it within these cows for generations, is a narrowing of the hips. Mm. That as they need to work less to calve, they are evolving to have less of a solid calving structure. Uh, Do you think there's some legitimacy to that or is that bro science? Um, I think there's some legitimacy to that. As long as you're judging your uh, confirmations correctly, I, I think there's less of a problem there. But no, I think it um, maybe industry wide in the, in the country, you do see a narrowing of her of hips. Yeah, it's certainly possible or smaller pelvic sizes. So here's my big fear and why I wanted to bring this up, because this is finally getting a ton of attention. And don't get me wrong, it needs to get some attention. We've seen a lot of scary birth weights out there in the last few years. So it, it is a problem that needs addressed. But, you know, as a species, humans, we aren't real great at addressing things in the appropriate way. We tend to live on a pendulum and swing hard for the other direction. So obviously the other direction on this would be to swing way back to some of those massive Hereford birth weights that we've seen, yeah. you know, chasing 100, 100 pound, yeah. 120 pound calves. And we've seen it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So why and how do we, I guess the how is the really important part of that. We know the why. The why is because you can't be doing C-sections every day. Right. And because you can't be dropping cows with torn up nerves and yep. it's a just as big of a disaster, if not bigger, to have massive birth weight calves. Yep. So how do we prevent that pendulum from swinging? How do we as breeders keep ourselves in check so that we don't overcorrect? Well, we just have to be cautious. Um as people are breeding for a higher performing animal, you're going to have higher birth weights and the higher birth weights. Like you said, they bring all these issues along that are, are bad for, uh, for your herd. Um, you just have to be cautious and, and not swing for the negative four birth weight EPD, not swing for the positive three birth weight EPD somewhere in the middle, you know, or maybe around that zero mark is ideal. Um, maybe, uh, on the calving ease side, that's a little different. Um, calving ease means, uh, it is also kind of tracks confirmation in that it's how many calves are expected to be born successfully without assistance. 
Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're light calves, but um, on the birth weight specifically, I think we just have to be cautious about not looking for extremes one way or the other. Just finding a good average calf that comes in between, say, 75 and 85 pounds. I think a lot of it comes back to something that we've talked about again and again on here, and that's just having a plan, knowing what it is that you're breeding for and trying to achieve that consistent calf crop. If you've got a plan and a vision in mind, it's easier not to get sidetracked by some of those fad things like a giant birth weight that shows up. And so that kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you. And it's something that I think all of us should be thinking about. And I hope it's a conversation that we can have because I think we can really inspire each other if we're talking about it. But it's a really big, broad question that seems really easy at first. But the more you start picking away at it and digging into it, it actually gets a little squirmy. And that is, what are you breeding for? All right. Anybody can get out there and just try to, you know, buy the next greatest thing, throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks and you'll find some success. It won't be consistent success and it's not going to be something that lasts for generations. If you're generationally minded, like most of us in agriculture are. Right. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have something in mind. What are you breeding for? And that's something that Logan and I have been talking a lot about in the last year or so and what that vision is. So I figured we'd start with us. And this isn't concrete. You know, this is a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. But it's definitely a deeper question that I think we all should be asking ourselves. So the first big thing that comes to mind for me, when we talk about what are we breeding for is consistent balance. And that sounds real pretty to say, right? Those are very fluffy words, but what does that mean? So let's break it down. What does consistent mean to you as a seed stock producer? Consistent means that you walk into a pen of calves and without ear tags in them, you'd think that they were all twins. Basically. Okay. That's a lofty goal. Yeah. Um, that they're, you know, even across the back, uh, born within just a few weeks of each other. Um, maybe their uh, weaning ratios were between 95 and 105. And that's kind of our, my long-term goal, um, to have no more than a 10% difference between from top to bottom, with maybe a few outs, sure, but 10%, no, no more than that. Okay, so then balance. What does balance mean? Balance to me means um, they are... Maybe they don't, aren't exactly top 1% in any trait, but maybe they're top 20% in almost all the traits. And in, in looking at, are they good at calving? Are they growthy? Do they have the marbling? Do they have the carcass? And then you have to add in, do they have the functional phenotype and confirmation that works out in the field, on the range, um, will they work on across all the boards? And to me, that's a balanced cow is one that is has a high, uh, a good production EPD in all of the fields that are economically relevant 
and will get out on the range and work her butt off for you and you don't have to work for her. So what I'm hearing when you really dig into that is that you would be willing to sacrifice a tiny bit in the short term of carcass quality, let's say, Hmm. if it's going to bring balance to your herd, if it's going to improve your fertility, let's say, because those are two traits that are often kind of put in a juxtaposed position. A little bit, um, yes. So just to achieve that balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The balance uh, between all the traits is is important to me. Um, And as you intentionally breed your cattle to fill in the gaps and get them more consistent over time, you, you can start to bring up all of those averages. So you've still got all of your um, important phenotypic traits, travelability, hip structure, shoulder structure, all that kind of stuff. And then you continuously add in and find the genetics to push forward into uh, the higher weaning weights, the higher yearling weights, the better um, marbling scores, and while maintaining the fertility of your herd. Um, to me, it's all about achieving that higher balance that's beyond. It doesn't mean that you're coming back. Finding a balanced cow doesn't mean you're coming backwards necessarily in any trait. It's just trying to keep them good and pushing them forward. Achieving a higher balance sounds like an awfully cheesy marketing slogan. I feel like I could throw a hashtag in front of that all day long. It's a great one. <laughs> so the second, Trademark it. <laughs> the second uh, thing that really comes to mind when we were talking about what are we breeding for was easy keeping and low cost because those are kind of synonyms right. with us. So talk a little bit about that. What does an easy keeping cow mean to you and why does that matter? Uh, one that stays in decent flesh and produces a, a healthy, heavy calf as a low cost cow. If you, I mean, if, if you're not feeding her all the time, I mean, on range conditions with minimal supplements. I think that's something that's probably going to matter more and more moving forward here. We've never seen the input costs. The cost of purchase yeah. protein right now is insane. Yeah. Um, input costs uh, as far as hay, um, diesel, whatever it is, fertilizer. It's just going to get, keep going up and up as the market tightens and inflation is a problem. So how are you tracking that? Because I'm thinking you've got a herd of cows out there, right? How do you know which ones are requiring more groceries? You can tell just by looking at them. If you're looking at, um, they're all getting the same feed and the ones some are staying, maintaining weight and maybe even putting some on as their calves are growing. Some other cows are getting skinny, and you can just tell by looking at them. So what about the ones that don't even fit through the squeeze chute anymore? (laughs) And I'd say they're doing just fine. (laughs) Those are really cheap cows. (laughs) Okay, our third thing that we come back to a lot, we actually kind of already talked about because it fits in to that balance. But I just want to talk a little bit about why each of them is so important. So it's making sure that we are terminal and maternal. There's a lot of people out there right now, a lot of breeders right now that think that those are contradictory terms, terminal and maternal. There's a lot of pressure to pick a lane. Are you a terminal breeder or a maternal breeder? And there's a lot of people out there that will tell you it doesn't matter which. Mm -hmm. You do you. 
but you have to pick a lane and declare yourself. Yeah, that's what they say. You know, that's what we do. We always have to break down into teams. This is my football team. This is my politics. No, that's not how this works. You don't have to be terminal or maternal. Sorry, this is a little bit of a... Hot topic, yes, but it drives me nuts because it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be terminal and maternal, and I would dare say we have to be terminal and maternal because our customers require a live calf on the ground. They require a live calf that's going to get up and suck. They require a cow. Yep, they require a cow that's going to produce quality milk without her udder blowing out. They require those maternal things before they can even think about getting a paycheck at the end. Right. But it's more than that. Because the paycheck is based upon the performance of the calf. And you may say, oh, but I sell my calves at, this, at the sale bar, and I don't even know what they, where they go, what they do. Um, well, I bet you that your calves are going to the same person year after year, and they know what they're doing. And if that means that you're having turnover and um, you're – feedlots that you've sold to before aren't buying your calves, then that means that they're not where they need to be. But if you are having the same person buy them over and over, that means that they know there's the value and you are putting out the carcass quality that you need to be putting out. And you have to have both. I agree a hundred percent. You have to have the maternal traits and the terminal traits in order to make it in this business. I think you know, that that all gets a little bit specific to the cow-calf guy. But it matters, too, to the seed stock guy because yep. we're the one providing their genetics that they're basing their herd off of. Yep. I also think it's an excellent selling point for us as black Hereford producers, right? We are uniquely positioned to offer both terminal and maternal. I think the reason maybe that we hear some of the pressure to pick a lane is because some of those breeds out there are very specific. Right. Like a Charlet, like it or not, is a terminal breed. Yes. It just is. And right. that's okay. But the reason the guys are crossing those Charlets is because they have to bring that maternal power back in to help balance that. Well, here we are, folks, Black Herefords. We can bring that terminal and maternal to you to help you produce your breed, to help your customer produce those calves that will pay their bills. But we have to be intentional about it, too. So how do we go about making sure that we are providing both of those things to our customers? Well, first off, you need to talk with your customers and making sure that they are still getting the money that they need for their calves because they won't come and come to you anymore if they aren't. Well, and I think that's important that you said you have to talk to them because they they often won't come and tell you. No. You know, we've we've had bulls that we've purchased before, programs that we've purchased for several years from and just eventually gone, no, this isn't working for whatever reasons. We don't call that guy up and say, hey, by the way, we're not buying your bulls this year because they were crap. Right. Right. We just don't show up at the sale that year. And unless they ever reached out to find out why they'd lost that customer, they have no idea what's going on. So you have to be the people person that I know is sometimes hard to do and reach out to your previous customers and see how it's going. Yeah, just check in with them. uh, See how they calved out. See how they weaned off. See how their death loss was in terms of sickness. Um, Find out who bought their calves, whether it was a feedlot or stalker program. Um, see if you can track them as far as you can. 
into the system. I also think that encourages them to find out who bought them. We didn't know for many years on our cow-calf side. We just knew we showed up at the sale barn and, you know, some of the order buyers, we knew all the order buyers. Right. You know, we saw them around, saw them at the restaurant in the sale barn, all that. We, you know, knew enough shake hands and visit and whatever, but we didn't always know who they were buying for. We had to get real intentional about what was going on with our calves after we sold them. And And so this is an important point for both seed stock guys and cow guys. Right. Exactly. Follow your calves. See what they do. Right. And that means you have to put forth effort in talking to those people and figuring it out. Yeah. So the last thing that really came to mind for us when we were talking Mm -hmm. about what are you breeding for is also very broad and fluffy sounding. And that is beef industry driven. Yeah. But I think when we dig into that a bit, you know, you got to pull some of that fluff away. And it's actually a bit more of a controversial statement than than a lot of people would assume, especially people who aren't deep into the politics of our industry. So beef industry driven to me means acknowledging that our final end product is not a cow. It is beef. Yep. There's a lot of people that will get out there and say, I don't sell beef. I sell cattle. Well, why do you sell cattle? To make beef. That statement has become controversial in the last couple of years just because of the insane marketing world that we live in with the big four packers. And, you know, like we talked about pendulum swings earlier, everybody is rightfully so frustrated and at their wits end with the influence that those four packers have on our marketing and on the value of our cattle. But we don't solve that by swinging our pendulum so far back the other way that now we play this game where we pretend like we're not breeding beef. Right. Right. Unless you're putting out milk cows. Right. That's not what we're here for. We're here to breed beef. But I'll challenge you and say that even the dairy people are pushing towards breeding beef because look at the beef on dairy program. They're trying to get more money for their kids. That's a whole nother rabbit hole that (laughs) I do not have the mental capacity for today. (laughs) But uh, even they recognize that half of their product is beef, not just dairy. Yeah. Um, So, yes, absolutely. Uh, We got to watch that we are still creating the quality product. That we keep the consumer in mind and the consumer is the person in the grocery store at the end of the day. And um, something that's important in that um, a mentor of mine always used to say that we're he was breeding the cattle, the right cattle for the industry, regardless of the times. And by that, he meant that he wasn't chasing fads. He was breeding the cattle that he thought the beef industry needed, whether with the with the cow quality and the marbling that the consumer needed and just the meat quality in general and was going that direction in his mind. And that's an important point, I think, to not go with the bull of the day uh, because he want to show somewhere or this bull registered 10,000 calves this year in the Angus Association. He must be the top one or whatever it is. I think staying away from those until they prove themselves is an important thing. And then you can see where and how they would fit into your program or not. And I'm going to attribute that quote, rightfully so, to Mr. Bill Rischel. And if you would like to hear more gems... 
that Mr. Rischel gives because he is full of them. You can go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes of the Black Hereford Chronicles. I did have him on as a guest early on. Yep. So one other topic that I wanted to pick your brain about why I've got you sitting here because it's a nasty, horribly windy day outside. So I was able to convince you to hide inside with me for a bit. Um, again, comes back to some of the discussions that I'm seeing occur <clears throat> within our industry and concerns about where things are going. The Black Hereford breed has really gained a lot of ground within just the social media realm in the last few months. You know, there was a big push made to kind of get our feet back under us as an association on social media. We didn't really have, let's be honest, we didn't have social media really um, up until what, maybe six months ago. And so there was a big push to kind of bring that back to life because it does matter. I really believe that You know, as much as we all like to gripe about Facebook and then sometimes like to pretend like we don't use it because it's beneath us. It matters. Everybody's checking it. It's a great marketing tool and it does influence, as we saw in the last presidential election. Right. It influences people in the way they think. So the discussions on there can matter even when we don't want to admit that. As Black Herefords have pushed into a lot of these groups, there's a pretty good sized group of Black Hereford breeders in um, the Hereford Connection page and a couple other Hereford pages where they have been kind enough to welcome us and to allow us to talk about what it is that we're doing. There's been a lot of postings of, and I'll use air quotes here, so just imagine that I'm using them, Black Herefords that are for, for sale or just that people are posting trying to show what it is they're doing, but they're F1s. Right. The term hasn't been defined well enough for enough people for them to understand that that first year cross that they were breeding just for their commercial animals that year. They'll post a picture of it. Oh, look at my cute new black Hereford calf. Here's how my black Hereford steer is looking. But really, it's just an F1. It's that first year First generation, yeah. Right, because they don't understand. Either they aren't aware that we're a thing, although I think that that's growing less common. In my mind, the most reasonable answer there is that they don't understand that a Black Hereford isn't the F1. That's right, an F1. An F1 is a tool. It's not an actual Black Hereford. And so I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. And this is where this episode might get a little bit controversial and I'm probably going to piss some people off. But, you know, if I'm breathing today, I'm pissing people off. So we might as well roll with it. (laughs) Um, What you just said there, it is not a Black Hereford. And F1 is not a Black Hereford. Um, Just to drive that point home, I'm really obnoxiously fond of calling F1's white faced Angus because it could just as easily. Yeah. Be that, right? It's an F1. It's a 50-50 split. It is no more Hereford than it is Angus. Right. It's an F1. And I think it matters because we are still new and defining ourselves for an industry that's not quite sure that we are a real thing yet. Right. And when we're in that stage of proving ourselves to be a real thing, why would we muddy the waters... By saying, well, this can also be a black Hereford. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The F1, like I said, is uh, to me a tool. Um, 
we've always used uh, F1 heifers to breed up uh, as coming from the Angus side. That's how we got our start. Um, I think that's an important tool because you're bringing in the maternal genes that you want. But uh, in my mind, those aren't our direct product. And we've sold some F1 bulls. Uh, we can talk about those. Um, we have sold them to people that generally were going to put them on uh, Simmental cows or other continental cross cows, and they were going to reap the benefits of that heterosis. Um, in my mind, the seed stock pr producer isn't there to have to reap the benefits of heterosis and hybrid vigor for his own calves. Because boys, those F1s sure have it. That's why they are beautiful. they're the best looking ones out there. That's why if you go to a show, yep. the F1 always wins and the F1 always looks the prettiest because it is. It's got all that heterosis. It took it all up. Yeah, and it hangs it and it hangs really well on the rail. And they feed really good in the feedlot. You know, that's those are all facts. But that's what we're trying to give to our customers. It's not for us as seed stock producers to take advantage of that. We're supposed to be pushing that and saying, hey, you've got a herd of Angus cows or, hey, you've got a herd of Simital cross cows. Put a black Hereford on it. You'll love the result. That's our job. So there's been conversation within the breed for years, though, about making F1s registrable. As fully registered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Including bulls. And I am adamantly opposed to that. I believe, and I get the idea that, oh, well, we'll just reap more registration money. But we also have to be responsible for the long-term trend of this breed, right? It's not just about increasing today's bottom line, but it's about protecting and guarding and building our future. And our future is not F1s. Not if we want to be taken seriously. Right. Not if we want to have people stop saying, well, they're just a crossbreed. If we want to achieve that status, if we want people to understand there is a purebred black Hereford and here was, is what it is, we have to stop acting like F1s serve any more purpose than being a tool to get to the next step. Yeah, exactly. If you're using F1, it's because it's adding something to your program that you're not getting from the rest of your Black Hereford program. But that's the only reason. And here's where I'm going to get real radical and probably make some people turn off entirely. But I am uncomfortable with the idea that we are showing F1s. In the Black Hereford shows. True. Now, I've said many times on here, I'm not a showman. And I have a lot of respect for you guys that do it. I really, really do. As an outsider looking in, as somebody who's not into the show ring thing, I look at that and think, we're putting out a public face, because the show is our public face, of something that isn't who we are. We aren't white-faced Angus. We are Black Herefords. Right. And when we're going to shows and having F1s win, well, that's not a black Hereford. That couldn't be fully registered in our association. Yeah, yet it's in the show. Yet it's in the show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, they have their place, and that is probably in the market class. I've wondered about that. You know, there's so many breeds that have a steer show, and I know our juniors have done it before. That seems like a great fit. Yeah. 
you know, have your steer show because I've always thought it was silly that, you know, Angus has a massive steer show. Well, who's registering? Why would you put all the money into registering your registered Angus bull and then steering him and continuing to pay those fees? Hey, if it pays the bills. I guess. <laughs> if I'm cutting something, I'm done playing that game with the association, though, you know? <laughs> but maybe that's a great fit. Those F, because that's what our commercial breeders looking for. Right. That's what they're hoping to get out of us is what we're putting into those F1s, what an F1 is. Yeah, should be in market class. Absolutely. The overall trend, though, is that people are talking about us and we are gaining a lot more market acceptance than we had just a few years ago. And I think that's pretty darn exciting, even if sometimes it's a little bit controversial. And sometimes you have that guy who I can almost always guarantee is also of social security collection age complaining that we are not really a Hereford. There are more people that understand the point of what we're doing than there were before. And that I think is very cool. I also think it's really important to have these conversations that are sometimes a little bit uncomfortable like F ones, you know, people get a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about that. Um, people get a little bit uncomfortable when we ask them hard questions like, what are you breeding for? I had to chase Logan around with that question for a long time. And like I said, we've been talking about it for a year here and jotting down phrases and sentences and things that help us form that bigger picture, that bigger vision of what it is that we are breeding for, of what our goal is that I believe will help serve us going forward as we grow our operation and, you know, really try to expand what it is that we're doing here. So all that really matters. And I just want to thank you guys for continuing to tune in and listen to it, even when we're just kind of bloviating about what's going on in our association and what's going on in our wider industry right now. These are important conversations that we need to have. And I would encourage you to to hop on to the Chronicles Facebook page and let's continue the conversation there. Tell me what your thoughts are on F1s. If you think I'm way off, I want to talk about it. Let's have that conversation. It's better that we do that out in the open so that we can come to some sort of agreement rather than having all of these behind closed doors, hush, hush, secrecy kind of discussions. Let's talk about it because it impacts all of us and it matters. So head over to the Chronicles Facebook page. Tell me what you're breeding for. Tell me what you think about the F1 thing. I really do want to hear it. And as always, thank you for tuning in. We are sponsored today by HI slash Cattle Company, raising Black Hereford and Angus cattle in the Sandhills of Nebraska. You can find them over at HISLASHcattle.com or search them out on Facebook. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.